You're listening to 3CR Radio. And you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we chat with Mildura Independent MP Ali Kappa and performer and activist Jacob Thomas joins us. 3CR. Well, Ali Kappa is the Victorian Parliament's member for Mildura in remote northwestern Victoria. Recently, she formed a coalition with Fiona Patton's Reason Party. And I spoke with Ali this week. So what that means is that um, my community uh, is able to get some advantages, some strategic advantages uh, that, that it didn't have previously. Uh, and that includes, uh, you know, a, a position um, with the balance of power in the upper house or, or one, you know, having, having Fiona there as one of a handful of people who share that balance of power. Uh, it gives my community the ability to um, introduce legislation and to lead debate uh, and to, you know, really negotiate in a very meaningful way uh, amendments to key uh, legislation. Uh, so so it, it, it works, it definitely works for, for us um, as a community. What's the reaction been like in your electorate? It's been really positive, you know. Uh, look, the... The thing is, when, when, and this is an important thing to, to, um, you know, to note about regional communities and rural communities that, that we have long, uh, been neglected through, uh, particularly through the neoliberal era, you know, which is all about, you know, trying to minimise social spending and, and, and maximise efficiencies and economies of scale, which has meant that um, areas that are a long way away with fairly sparse populations ha- have long been at the end of a queue, you know, and, and we are... Um, we are becoming more and more savvy and sophisticated about um, our approach to politics. Once upon a time, we we really did ourselves no favours in places like Mildura because we were incredibly safe seats. So we, we would vote for one side, almost as if we were barracking for a footy team, you know, <laughs> um, and, and we required very little from them. You know, it was all about nostalgia and sentimentality for the party, but now we're much more transactional and we know that, uh, you know, you, you, need to, you need to play the game. Um, and you need to be nimble and you need to think outside the square. And, and so, so, yeah, the, the community have absolutely understood the, the value of this move. So it sounds like you're optimistic that this is a good political move for you and may, in fact, increase your chances of being returned. Well, look, what I think this will increase the chances of is, is, is us um, getting our fair share of state resources. That, that, that's the main thing that, that I'm concerned about. Uh, what what happens um, at the next election is, is not. I mean, that that's the that's for an election candidate to worry about. And I'm not an election candidate. I'm the state MP for Mildura. Um, my my job is not um, to win an, a, an election. My my job is to um, make sure that that my community gets um, respect and and dignity and resourcing and attention that it deserves. Uh, so, so that's that's what's motivating this, it, you know. And and I think that as they should, um, my community is in a place where they will make their decisions um, in terms of who represents them on evidence and on record, you know. So, so I think this will enhance my record um, and will serve us all well. But, um, but yeah, winning an election, I can honestly say, wasn't wasn't a motivating force in this in, in this decision. What are some of the policy issues that attracted you to forming this coalition with Fiona Patton's Reason Party? Yeah, so number one, and this is absolutely at the forefront, is regional rate reform. 
So we we have a phenomenon which which sometimes even when you explain it sometimes to to um, MPs from from the metro regions that their jaws will drop where. Um, because of certain factors that relate to rural and regional areas, for example, geographical size of, of municipalities and uh, the need for you know services to be provided in duplicate and, and also the issue of sparsely populated areas, that all puts extreme upward pressure on rates. Uh, so, so it is not atypical for there to be a big flash million dollar mansion in in let's say Geelong or or Turak um, that that will um, that will that, that whose rates bill will be half the rates bill of someone with a modest house in Mildura. Um You know th- th- there is a and there has been for decades because it just hasn't been addressed. Maybe it's not sexy enough, or there just hasn't been the political will to do anything. Um, but but this has been a scandal of inequity between the, the regions and, and, and the city for, for decades. Um, and, and my view is it's time, it's time we changed it. And, and to do that, you know, in the lower house, on my own as an independent, I could ask nicely, and, and that's about all, right? Or um, I, could, I could work with um, Fiona Patton, who has a lot of influence in the upper house, so that, so that the conversation is more um, about bargaining and less about begging. Fiona Patton, of course, has just undertaken a review into the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. In principle, would you vote to decriminalise sex work in Victoria? Yeah, look, I mean, sex work um, hasn't been an issue that has been brought to me in my electorate. So so as part of the coalition um, and, and reasons move into the regions, we'll, we'll be forming a dedicated regional policy platform. Um, I, I think it's unlikely, uh, based on my uh, you know my, my work in my electorate so far, that that's going to come up as sort of a, a big ticket top level priority. Um, but but look at the same time, you know, if, if this is about um, providing, um, you know, primarily well, women, sometimes men too, but but women with more dignity and respect and safety, uh, you know, we, we know that the world needs more of that. You know, it's not just about sex workers in Victoria, but but breaking down some of that stigma and providing more protection for for women who who um, are in that um, line of work uh, is important. You know, um, it, it, silence. Um, is the is the the friend of um, trafficking? You know, silence and stigma are the friend of all sorts of nefarious things that can infiltrate that industry and hurt women. So anything that can promote the, the welfare of women, um, I I fully support, and, and I believe my electorate would support that too. But having said that, um, that wouldn't be something um, I expect to be in our region for the region's policy platform because it's just simply not one of our big ticket issues. What's your response to the Andrews government's bill to ban conversion practices, which is, of course, a huge issue for the LGBTIQ community? Yeah, absolutely. Look, look, we come from a community um, that that is absolutely embracing um, and very protective of our LGBTI community. We, you know, especially our kids. Uh, we, we know how vulnerable those kids are. You know, we know that, um, you know, traditionally, you know, um, one of the highest cohorts for suicide um, in the regions is, is young males. Um, and and we, you know, have, have long suspected that they're, um, you know, especially historically, that probably a sizable portion of those kids were gay. 
Um, so we know um, the importance of, of um, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with our LGBTI community and, and, and helping in any way we can to, to um, you know, address, uh, you know, homophobia or uh, stigma, um, the sorts of things that have led to atrocities over time um, and deep injustices. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, you know, I, I think that... Um, you know those those subtle that they might be more subtle um, forms of, of conversion, let's say, but they're still forms of conversion, and and they particularly seem to come up in 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 sectors such as certain churches where what do you know they also happen to be teaching that homosexuality is a sin and you'll perish in hell for all eternity if you if you're gay. So um, I think that the thing that needs to be reformed or the, the what needs to be what needs to receive the therapy is the bigotry. Not, not, not the um, the gay community. So you'll be voting for the legislation. Yes, I will be. Yeah. Have you been lobbied by any religious groups in your electorate regarding this bill? Yeah, yeah, we, we've been we've been lobbied by individuals. So, so we haven't been lobbied by you know like a, a church. Um, you know, like a, a, a church body to, to say that. Well, one of the things I'm aware of too is that. Um, you know, there's no one church. You know, it's not like the church is saying that this that, that being gay is an issue, and it's a, and it's a high priority to to them to be able to counsel people who who are upset about being gay. Um, there's, for example, our local Catholic church. You know, has long been very embracing of our LGBTI community. You know, we've we've seen some massive leaps forward in that area. Um, you know, churches like the Uniting Church as well. You know, have shown a real, um, you know, spirit of inclusion and and um, and support. Uh, so, so even of the churches, it, it, it's a minority of the churches, and probably even within that minority of churches, there's a there's only been a handful of parishioners. I guess that's the right term. Um, who have contacted us? Uh, look, look. I think. Um, more and more and more, you know, I think the the idea that the, the Bible, um, you know, prohibits homosexuality is, is, is sort of being put in, in the same basket as the Bible prohibits shellfish. You know, like, it's just one of those anachronisms that, that you know, a document that's 2,000 years old is, is going to have. Um, and sometimes you've really just got to try and, you know, you, you, you've got to square that with your um, your heart and your compassion and your sophisticated understanding of the way... People are made. Um, the idea that sexuality is, is um, you know, it can be a fluid thing across people. You know, obviously across our population, but but fundamentally, it's it's, it's often something that's hardwired, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it doesn't need to be fixed. Uh, and and so, um, you know, that's what I'll be respectfully communicating to to the um, religious people who have lobbied me. But we've also been lobbied by our LGBTI community too. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've always stood proudly with our gay community. I'll continue to do that. It sounds like you've got a really strong commitment to social justice. Tell us a bit about your personal journey that led you to politics. Uh, yeah, I well, um, I'm a I'm a fifth generation Mallee girl. So um, my great great grandparents had a wheat farm at Ultima, and then my great grandparents had um, a wheat farm as well and a block. And then um, my my dad, though um, he he was the first person in his family to go to university, um, and he and he went to university as a result of the um, the Whitlam, you know, free education and, and studentship, which which allowed a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, kids from from the country to to 
get a tertiary education. Previously, that just had not been affordable to families. Um, and and um, when he was at Teachers College, he, um, he in Ballarat, he met a Dalesford girl, <laughs> my mum, um, she came from a very strong um, Labor family. Dad, Dad was certainly a um, um, Labor as a result of the Whitlam reforms and, and his ability to get a higher education. Um, but, but the rest of his family were nationals, so <laughs> there was a bit of a, a mix there. Um, I got into politics partly because I just loved... I'm a Mallee girl, very proud of it, and didn't like the way power worked. In the town, I thought it was it was really monopolised by a handful of people that had a handful of, of issues and interests, and nothing else had a voice. Um, I started off as a um, as a candidate for the ALP, um, much to the despair of my great, my grandparents, who were very staunch National Party supporters. Um, yeah, and then became independent within a couple of years just because, you know, we had a couple of outstanding legacies from the Kennett era. We, we lost our train and we lost our hospital. Uh, or the, we lost, well, our, the hospital was privatised. Um, I, I didn't quite see eye to eye with the party on that, so I, I broke away to, to be an independent advocate and eventually, um, yeah, was deputy mayor, became a councillor and then eventually was um, elected to state parliament. And I guess there's much more of a chance of Mildura electing an independent where there's a proud history of electing independents than there would be of them electing uh, a Labor MP. Yeah, well, well, when you sort of like, I mean, um, in terms of the proud history of, of electing independents, I mean, it, it, it's it's still patchy. You know, we um, we had uh, an independent um, in in Russell Savage um, who who was. Who did some some great things for our our community, um, and and that was reflected in the fact that he was there for three terms. Um, he, he was uh, he was an ex copper. Um, he was quite conservative, um, and I think that 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 certainly helped him along the way. You know, to to be able to win in what was at that time a quite conservative uh, part of the world. Um, but but my election sort of I guess signified a bit of a probably a, a, a demographic shift and maybe even a generational shift as well. Um, I, I was the first female elected, female um, MP for Mildura um, and, and had come from quite a progressive place um, on the political spectrum and, and that hadn't happened before. Um, since then, you know, with, with our council, which was always tra- traditionally very conservative, um, it, it's now probably one of the most progressive councils in Victoria. Uh, so we've made some real headway uh, in, in terms of, you know, um, influencing the, the the fabric of our community to make it a much more, you know, inclusive, exciting place for young people to want to be and, and stay. How has that old political guard in Mildura that you mentioned before reacted to your to your time as, as the local member and uh, how much grief do they give you? They used to give me a lot more um, right at the beginning, um, and and even um, even within the, so as I within my own rank. So so the um, as I mentioned, I, I first ran for the ALP, or first got into politics when I was an ALP candidate in two thousand and ten, and it was actually one of the oldest stalwarts of the the Labor Party branch. And his first thing he said to me was, "It's a shame you're not a bloke." You know, on the basis that you're not going to do the party any favours here because they don't like voting Labor anyway, and now we've got you. You know, so um, 
and then and then I remember being told by um, by a, another older conservative gentleman who was who was trying to be nice to me, like he wasn't trying to be mean, but he just said, "Look, you've got," he said, "the, the things that um, you have against you, um, a, you're not married, b, you don't have children, and c, you you haven't run a business." You know, um, so. So, you know, and, and, and then, I mean, they're just a couple of the famous quotes that I can remember. But, of course, you know, I'd, I'd had my job threatened. I'd been abused in the street. You know, I'd had all sorts of, you know, any any name you can think of <laughs> um, that has been directed at me, um, you know, whether it be on social media or, you know, um, in conversations. So there was a lot of pushback, you know. But, um, but one of the things I always had going for me was a really committed team of supporters and friends, um, you know, which, which was great. You know, you can kind of, um, you can laugh it off. I mean, I, I, there was one time when, because um, I've all, always been a supporter of um, Change the Date, you know, so every Australia Day I'd brace myself <laughs> for some of the old guard coming back at me because, um, you know, I talk about that issue. Um, it, it, it was, um, we, we had done a general survey. Um, I hadn't been elected for long and we did a survey of our constituents and we're asking things like, you know, what's the biggest issue for you and da-da-da-da. And one of the comments was, um, leave Australia Day alone, you dumb slut. Um, oh, God. You know, so yeah, so we get that. But if you, if you've got a good support group around you, you don't take that stuff to heart. That's just you know, what 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 you do is you just go, you have a drink, you laugh it off, and and you come back the next day and and get on with the job. So yeah, I've, I've developed a thick skin, um, but but the community has really shifted. A lot of that stuff, I just don't you know, I, I don't receive that level of vitriol anymore, or certainly not from such a, a broad cohort. It tends to be just you know, very occasional. And I guess too possibly, you know, having the old guard and the political establishment reacting against you perhaps made you come across as a political outsider and that just suited the times as well because people tend to be looking for that, someone that's not a political hack. That's exactly right, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, uh, and that's one of the things that I've, that I've, I've learnt, you know, um, that if, if you... If you work hard, if you love your community, it will be. If you're motivated by genuinely wanting to move the place forward, people will see that. And and one of the one of the regular bits of feedback I received, especially early on in the piece, was, Ali, I don't agree with everything you say, but I really like the way you say it. You know, or I, I, I like what you're doing. I like the fact you're saying it. I like the fact that you're out there. You know, there was there was sort of I, I think, um, uh, you know, the the, the the community was ready. And, and, and one of the things I think that has been incredibly influential and has really meant that, uh, that the, 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 the aspirations of a modern regional community are, are not that different from city aspirations anymore. Maybe once upon a time there was that thing called the city-country divide and, and, and that matter, but less and less and less. And I think that's part of the reason why my coalition with Fiona has been so well-received um, because so many of the, of the, the issues... Um, and, and also that, that, that evidence-based type approach to politics and, and the approach to politics which our coalition is based on where we can work together, we can, we can capitalise on the shared ground, but we can also respect and accommodate our differences. But that really appeals to a modern regional community that, that, that wants, to, wants to start really moving. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's been a, a really exciting, intriguing amazing journey um that, that i've that i've been on and and it's just such a an honor every single day to, to represent um my community 
Ali Kappa, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, James. 
the strokes there, the adults are talking. Well, Jacob Thomas is a Melbourne performer and activist who recently hosted Victoria's Globe Awards. Recently, they opened up on social media about their experiences with mental illness and stigma. And there is a trigger warning. This interview explores issues that may distress listeners. Please visit qlife.org.au if you need support. For anyone who knows me and for anyone who doesn't know me, uh, welcome. Uh, so, yeah, I've lived with uh, mental ill health for a very large part of my life. I'd say about 20 years. Um, I just turned 30 this year, so do the math. Uh, please, because I'm really not good at math. But, um, <laughs> you know, the basically what sort of happened, I, like I've been very, very frank and very open about my mental illnesses, my diagnoses, my journeys through um, depression, anxiety, panic disorder, and PTSD, because why do something simply when you can do it very complexly? Um, and, yeah, I think for a lot of people, the element of my mental illnesses kind of gets overshadowed sometimes, at least it's sort of how it feels for me anyway, because I'm a very, I guess, yeah, I sort of fit into that nice, convenient sort of white, queer, capitalist kind of approach of just like, well, they're successful, so therefore they must be doing fine. Um but of course, we always know that there's narrative that sits underneath. There's truth. There's vulnerability. There's uh, you know, the need for courage to express oneself that sits underneath the um, very sort of pristine-ish sort of persona, I guess. And so for me, um, yeah, I've tried to be frank and honest to sort of help battle the stigma that comes with um, you know, living with mental illnesses and being mentally ill sometimes as well, particularly during a pandemic. It's been a very, very wild time. Um, and so yesterday, you know, it was my one year anniversary on medication. Um, which I'd never done before uh, prior to this. Like I was, I always loved talk therapy, you know, loved being, you know, with a psych. I've had brilliant psychologists, some not so brilliant over the years, um, who've helped me navigate my trauma and navigate, um, you know, all the murky stuff that sort of lies underneath as to, you know, how we've got to particular points. But there was a situation last year where I, had an interaction with a couple of people. I was on a date and it just kind of like, I just basically got so heavily shamed for who I was that I remember walking out of this restaurant, crying all the way home, walked all the way home. Um, it's South Yarra to Paran. It's not like it's a long walk, but I'm chunky. So, you know, it's, <laughs> feel the burn. But, um, yeah, I remember I just felt so utterly worthless. And thankfully I have a great doctor and she, you know, gave me the insights to um, not necessarily, like I knew a lot about medication. I knew SSRIs, I knew about blockers, I knew all these different, you know, approaches that we could take. But there was something about working with her that made me just sort of go, you know what, maybe now's the time, let's do this, let's try the meds out um, and just see how we go. And so that was my one-year anniversary yesterday. And I thought, you know, that's worth celebrating just like anything else. Three C I don't know how it happened so quickly, but it's it uh, like <laughs> the word that triggered me so hard was the word exuberant. Um, and this guy was just like, "Look, you know, I'm feeling threatened. You know, you're a bit, you're too much. Whatever too much ever means for people, um, you know, you're a bit too exuberant. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave. So I was asked to leave this dinner, asked to leave this date, um, which is such a wild concept as well. Anyway, so I was like, "Yep, yeah, cool, great." Cheers, champ. And it was just this weird thing of just sort of like, am I 
am I too nice? Am I too joyous? Am I too, am I too good now? Like what's the go? Cause it's always that thing of like, yeah, we all know, we all know, I think Brene Brown calls it the warm wash of shame. Um, of, you know, being too fat or too thin or, you know, too, you know, too poor or too, you know, inarticulate or too whatever. Um, and it was just this wild thing of like, I'm used to being called like fat and I'm used to being called like, you know, um, uh, I guess arrogant because I'm confident myself or any of these sorts of things. And I've worked through those, but something about exuberant that I was like, but that's just such a positive term and you've weaponized it to make me feel so bad about myself. And that's such a weird thing. And so I think my, with having a trauma brain, as I like to call it, um, these sorts of comments can really kind of shake you up quite a bit um, for me anyway. And so I was just like, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like I just, I just don't know how to feel good about myself and for that to be respected by other people. Like it was just, it was a full on, um, cross wire in my brain like I just couldn't handle it um and so I just felt absolutely garbage about myself which is like an awful thing to put onto someone no one should feel bad about themselves no one should feel bad about you know how their bodies look or how their bodies operate and what they can or can't do you know no one should feel as though they're worthless or unattractive because of you know any particular characteristic about themselves um physically emotionally or otherwise but it was just a weird kind of like there's no other way that I can describe it other than it was so weird because I'd never been told before (laughs) I don't think most people have that you're too joyous to be around and therefore that's a bad thing weird concept didn't get it it's just bizarre isn't it but it sounds like you really empowered yourself by seeing the doctor and going on the medication well, what was so interesting about it is that I remember speaking to a friend on the phone on the on the long walk home, um, and I was just like, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, like, I already had this doctor's appointment booked because, um, you know, like, and, like, I've always, I don't know, I think we're so, we're so scared of saying the word fat as though it's, like, a bad thing, um, like, it's a, you know, it's a loss of moral control, um, but I'm fat, it's just what it is, and I have fat, or whatever it is, but just, like, I've never looked at my body in my adult years and just gone, you look gross, fix that. Um, I've always looked at it and just sort of gone, do you know what's great about this? This is my body and not anyone else's. I'm just going to decide what I'm going to do with that. Totally cute. Um, and also, you can be fat and be healthy, whatever the concept of healthy is. I don't know there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Anyway, but that's my academic brain, so we'll just pop that to the side. But what was interesting is I booked this um, appointment. I think I was already feeling quite fragile, um, and I was going to be, you know, going in very headstrong and sort of saying to her, my GP, that is, you know, um, I need to lose weight, not because I'm unhealthy or anything. We'd already done bloods, all that sort of stuff, um, like literally tip-top health. Um, and, you know, I, I want to go on this, like, starvation program. And, like, it was a horridly invasive thing that I was kind of irking myself up to, you know, participate in. And in hindsight, I look at that and I'm just like, wow, kiddo, you really hated yourself so much. This is such a horrible thing. And I walked in and I was just, yeah, I looked like I looked like garbage. Like, I clearly hadn't slept that well for a couple of days. I was clearly very... um wired I was yeah and part of my PTSD is that what used to be anyway like I would have panic attacks every single day not an anxiety attack but a full-blown panic attack at least once a day um and if anyone's never had a panic attack before kudos because they're awful like I really 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 glad I don't have them that often anymore um 
But yeah, I just, I looked disheveled. I looked gross. Like, you know, when you haven't slept and you just kind of look a bit greasy, like that's how I looked. Anyway, I walked in and she looks at me and she just goes, rough night. (laughs) I was like, let me tell you about it. Anyway, so I told her about the situation and I was like, you know, I've had this bad day. This awful thing's happened. This is how I'm feeling about myself. So therefore, you know, I basically want to starve myself pretty. And she looked at me and she was like, okay, we're not doing any of that that's awful. You've been treated so poorly by these people who you don't even know and they don't even know you. And I remember so clearly she like, she basically yelled compliments at me for a good like 10 minutes. Um, it was just like, oh, too exuberant. Oh, too lovely, too joyous, too this. Like she just unpacked all of it. And by the end I was just like, I felt good in a way, but I was just so exhausted. And she was like, look, let's actually have the conversation. I know you do well with therapy, but you know, maybe for the time being, do you just want to try some meds out? We'll just give it a go. We'll see how it is. We'll ease into it. And if you're you know, not happy with it in you know, a month, then we'll just wean you off. And I was like, okay, you know what? Sure. We'll just give it a go. So she kind of got me onto them um, with my consent, of course. Uh, and it was, it was a battle. It was a battle for a good while. Um, but you know what? Glad I did it in the end. Did you find that you went backwards for a short while on the medication before they actually started to improve things? It's so interesting is that, so again, for context, it's just like, I, like I've, been a, I've been a mental health advocate for a number of years. Um, and you know, I've always said to people, you know, do whatever works for you right? Um, you know, I, my mental health literacy is, you know, pretty bomb.com. Um, you know, it's like, I understand the system incredibly well here in Australia. Um, I get people into it however they need it. I advocate for change, all these important things. And, but what was so, what struck me so much is that I did not realize until I started, you know, I had, the, I had that first little green pill in my hand and I was about to take, and I was going to work as well because what you know, what a great time to start <laughs> medication. I'm a Capricorn, or maybe I just you know, don't know how to not participate in capitalism. I don't know, but um, with socialist heart struggling with that. But you know, I was like, cool. I've had my doctor's appointment. I'm going to work, and I'm starting a new line of medication I've never tried before. I just gave myself no space to do it. But I remember sitting at the train station, getting ready to PT in. And just holding this little green pill of Prozac, and I just got so upset with myself. I just like I just cried because um, I just felt like such a failure, and I did not realize how much internalized stigma I had to myself about medication. Because you would never catch me saying that to a friend. I would never, or a stranger for that matter. It didn't matter the proximity of emotional attachment and closeness, but it was it was just this thing of like but I don't need it because I've got these toolkits, you know, to my side, you know, because I'm good at therapy. I'm not good at therapy. No one's good at therapy, except hopefully a therapist. Hopefully they're good at therapy. But as a recipient of therapy, it's not how it works. But, you know, I was just like, yeah, but I've got all these things and I thought I'd worked this stuff out. And then it ju- I just felt like such an utter failure as a human that I just wasn't able to um, just be be well without this and so the first month was really hard it was hard because you know the medication made me a little bit sick which is not uncommon 
you know, I sort of lost my appetite a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I got headaches, like standard side effects. And, I, and this is the thing I think most of us need to be mindful of is just, yeah, it's, it's just medication. It's just what happens. You know, unfortunately, it's just, it's just a common side effect um, or suite of side effects. And so, you know, I just I gave it a go and worked through that first month. And then there was a moment where I could not tell you the exact day or the exact time. It wasn't like this little you know, epiphany. But I realized that for however long, I think maybe it was weeks, that I just didn't feel anxious and I didn't feel bad about myself and I didn't have that voice in my head telling me that, you know, I wasn't good enough. Um, I hadn't had a panic attack for a really long time. And that's when I realized that, oh, actually, this is probably what I needed <laughs> in addition to the therapy, in addition to everything else, all of this time. And, yeah, if I if that stigma wasn't there, if I'd sort of gotten out of my own way a little bit and stopped trying to be so brave and so courageous as an advocate, <laughs> um, then maybe I could have gotten onto this a little bit sooner and saved myself a lot of time. It sounds like you were quite surprised at the benefits of the medication. It's an interesting thing is that, you know, I, I, surprised maybe, I, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I think um, maybe I was just, I, I think I was just relieved more than anything else. I think I was just relieved that, um, you know, I could just go about my day a little bit easier. This is the thing, med- medication for me anyway, I can't speak for anyone else, but meds for me haven't just magically cured um, you know, my mental illnesses. Like I, I have PTSD and that will be around for however long it's around for. You know, I, I live with depression, I live with anxiety every single day. Um, but what I think was just nice is that I realised that I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't just trying to power through every day is that, I could do my day, whether it was working or leisure, and I just didn't feel exhausted by the end. And so I think that's I think that's the feeling that I had was just a beautiful moment of relief of going, ah, oh, it's just so nice to not feel broken after, you know, just trying to human for so many hours in a row. Do you think the medication would have been as effective if you weren't having therapy at the same time? Um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a hard, but well, this is the thing is that I'd actually finished my therapy session. So I was doing medication solo. Um, so it actually wasn't, um, combined with therapy at this time. Um, which, you know, it, but I think that depends on the person. And I think it's a very hard thing to sort of retrofit and you know, see in retrospect of, you know, the ifs, buts and coconuts of, but what if, you know, I, I think this is what we try and do a lot of the time when we're trying to. Well, okay, I can't speak for everyone else. What I try to do sometimes is sort of say, well, you know, it could have been different if. Um, I, I think most of us do that. I think most of us are just trying to look for answers and things that we thought we had but that we don't have, what have you. But, you know, I just – there's no way that I can actually say if it would have worked better or worse, to be quite honest. I think it just came about through the right way at the right time with the right doctor and the right medical team, having you know, the right amount of you know, good supportive friends around me and also recognising that I have this literacy and this understanding of a very complex system. You know, I have, I have a higher education degree. I'm middle class and can afford this quite comfortably. You know, I'm very white. There's so many different things that come into this 
um, that make your therapy and medication manageable and accessible and available um, and to have that consistency as well. You know, I think we kind of get a bit wrapped up in the convenient narrative of, um, you know, meds, psych, good, no more problems. You know, this the world still happens around you. All of the, all of the things that make your day hard every single day, they still exist. All of the oppression, all of the trauma, all of the systemic abuse, that's, that doesn't go away just because you're on a pill. The pill just makes it a bit easier to get through it. That's all it is. And I think for me is that it was a, it was a composite part to stuff that I already knew. If nothing else, I don't think it was, you know, one side of the cliff face to the other. I think it was the bridge was nearly built, um, but we were just missing a couple of blocks. And that's what this medication has been able to do for me anyway. And it's going to be different for every single person out there. So, you know, this is why we need to be able to have great access to, you know, you know uh, stigma-free health professionals. This is why we need to be able to have really accessible, really affordable, um, preferably free mental health support systems um, all around our country and in some of the most vulnerable areas. You know, like I'm a, I'm a middle-class white kid living in the CBD of Melbourne. You know, I'm doing well. That's perfectly fine. But if I, if I was... I know in Shepparton, my hometown, probably an entirely different situation. Who can say? I don't know what the wait list would have been, but I got to walk in yeah, immediately to my healthcare professional. So I think there's a lot of different things that kind of come into this and that makes it hard for us to say maybe it would have been different if. 3CR. You're listening to an interview with Jacob Thomas on 3CRs in your face. Last time we chatted was during August and you talked about all the amazing things you've been doing during the pandemic, during the lockdown. Uh, for instance, the, the hundreds of masks that you made uh, for the Black Lives Matter rally. What else have you been up to apart from emceeing the Globe Award? <laughs> um, thank you for asking. It's it's nice to actually celebrate some queer joy as well because I'm realising that um, <laughs> just, just talking about mental illness and, um, and meds can sometimes just be another sort of like, uh, wah, wah. <laughs> Here's the queer narrative again. Um, I love duality. I love being able to sit within you know both uncomfortable spaces. Look, what I, what have I been up to? Um, I quite a bit actually. I think um, I adopted a cat, which is very exciting. Um, he's doing incredibly well. We're we're almost a week in, and he's only bitten me a few times, so that's that's a bonus. Um, I've actually I've gotten back into gaming, which is really nice. Like I picked up Pokemon again, and that's just great. Like, but I think if I'm playing too many all at once. I'm doing Let's Go. I'm doing um, Sword and Shield again. I'm doing <laughs> Alpha Sapphire. <laughs> I'm doing Sun and Moon. It's all just happening. I'm very excited. But, um, yeah, I've just been, you know, I moved out. I'm living by myself, you know, just having a great time. Just, you know, I think trying to sit into um, not being busy as much as I can. Um yeah, and leisure is a privilege, unfortunately, as well. But, you know, I've been trying to, you know, remaking pasta from scratch and trying to make bread from scratch, not because I'm trying to um, <laughs> necessarily be like, oh, look at how creative I am during COVID, but more so it's just like, oh, this is really therapeutic. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely making a lot more time for myself during my days now, which is really, really nice. 
Um, yeah, and that's just helped a lot into in dealing with um, a very very weird time of the year. Um, well, actually, more weird year, I should say. And it's not going to finish by December, but a we- shall we say a very weird moment in human history and life. There we go. Um, but what else have I been doing? I mean, I've been studying. I got HDs all the way through my master's. I'm applying for a PhD at the moment, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I got a couple of publications done academically. Like, it's just I look at my year and I just realise that it's just it's just nice to have done more than more than well during a very very weird time in human history. Um, I will just say I felt very very bad about that. For most of the year, I had, I think, that survivor's guilt kind of narrative kind of falling through, which is not an entirely accurate term for what it is, but not here for semantics. Um, but I did then sort of realise is that, you know, if I'm doing well, then it means that I can support other people who might be having it a little bit tougher um, than I am. And so that's been kind of nice to check that as well. I feel like it's just been a lot of personal growth in 2020. And apart from being a great advocate, you're also a great queer artist and performer. Did the Globe Awards and being on stage in front of an audience, even though it was virtual, kind of give you that kind of, you know, taste for wanting to get back on stage? What can we expect from you on the performance front uh, when these restrictions are kind of, you know, done and dusted and we can go back to normal? Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't think I've thought that far ahead, actually, to be quite honest. I will say, like, oh, it's just, I think I said this um on my Instagram is that it's just, it's, it was so nice to just be surrounded by some queer joy for the evening. Um, I know that we're sort of just, there's a few narrative pieces that are in the media this week, um, which I'm really loving about the importance of having, you know, dance spaces coming back in, you know, uh, New South Wales and Victoria, especially for our LGBTIQA plus communities to be able to go and move and to be able to like, you know, have the base running through our bodies again. Um, like, just being there to perform was just such a cathartic experience. And I don't think I've had that much fun in such a long time performing. It didn't feel like an obligation. It just felt like just, just, just this, um, just, I don't even have the words for it. It was just really wholesome and just really nice. Um, do I want to keep performing into the new year? Absolutely. Um, I mean, if people want to book me for gigs, you're all more than welcome to do so. <laughs> so that's totally fine. Um, am I going to be doing a show next year? I don't know. I don't know where I'll be next year. Um, yeah, I haven't, necessarily, I haven't put any plans in for 2021. And I think that's probably one of the smartest choices that I can make for myself. I think it's actually the first time in a long time that I haven't booked out an entire year in advance and I know if any of my very close friends are listening to this they'll probably be shook by that because they literally know that I'm usually by December I've already got stuff booked in for October the next year um (laughs) so I don't do I haven't done that this year which is kind of nice but you know we'll see what happens I'm open to I, I think I'm just open to being creative you know making new dresses you know styling wigs building shows supporting people creatively um, so just, we're just going to see what happens and you'll know as soon as I do. Well, Jacob Thomas, you surely are a queer treasure here in Melbourne. Uh, it was wonderful to see you hosting the Globes and thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. 
picking cans Looking at the billboard Oh, so rad Summing up the people Checking out the race Doing what I'm doing Feeling out of place Walking, walking in the rain like a woman looking like a man sounding like a no-no making when I can whistling in the darkness shining in the light coming to conclusion right is night is time walking walking in the rain Jones there, walking in the rain. 
I'm out of here. Jacob's up next with a Friday rave, taking us out of Nina Simone with Suzanne. We'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Suzanne takes you down to a place by the river. You can hear the boats go by. You can spend the night forever. And you know the cheese have crazy, and that's why you wanna be there. And she feeds you. And oranges that come all the way from China Just when you mean to tell her That she has, that you have no love to give her She gets you on her wavelength And she lets the river answer That you've always been her lover with her you want to travel blind cause you think maybe you can trust her she's touched your perfect body with her mind Jesus was a sailor Oh
face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.